We are uh, into a series we're calling Relationship Apps. We've been talking about what it means to do what we've just done, lift him up, but also to live him out. You know, Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus sums up for us this idea of lifting him up and living him out. So when we talk about relationship apps, I'm talking about application. I'm talking about living him out in what we do. Now, I've been using a little bit of uh, iPhone history and uh, cellular device apps as our metaphor for this series. So it was back in night, I'm sorry, it was back in 2008 that the app store first became active, where you could go online with your iPhone and purchase apps, and people started doing it. They bought a lot of apps, and I want to talk to you for just a moment briefly about three of the apps that were some of the most popular apps in 2008, and it probably speaks about kind of how frivolous we are as a society, mercy, as a society, as a society, there you go. So in 2008, here was one of the most popular apps back in the day, Bubble Wrap. How about that? You could buy an app that was a game on your phone that allowed you just to pop bubbles. You know how you always want to do that stuff that comes from a package or something? You want to pop those bubbles? Well, with the Bubble Wrap app, you can have it on your phone anytime. And you can just pop bubbles to your heart's delight. You could even compete against friends to see who could pop all their bubbles the fastest. Amazing stuff that we came out with in 2008, right? Also in 2008, one of the other entertainment apps that came out was an app called Rolando. Now, it might not seem like something you remember, but if you look closely, it looks a whole lot like what would later come as Angry Birds. This was the predecessor to that, Rolando. And then one of the more famous back in 2008 was the Phone Saber app. Yes, you could download this app, and your phone became like a lightsaber. It would... I mean, it really didn't put out a beam or anything, but you could make your phone sound like a lightsaber. Back in 2008, those were popular apps. Pretty crazy, huh? I can tell you're really amazed by all of that. (laughs) We've come a long way since 2008. I'm not going to talk to you anymore this morning about iPhone apps. I want to talk to you about relationship apps, how we apply the message of the gospel out in our lives, how we live out, how we apply what Jesus has done for us. In fact, we've used this statement right here as kind of the, uh, the foundation for our message series. Here it is. Check it out. The more that you download the ways God has related to you in Jesus Christ, the more you will change the way you relate to others. You see, the gospel came to you not just to give you fire insurance for your eternity. The gospel came to you to change you from the inside out so that in this life you might experience the glory of God and it might overflow into your life and your relationships. And if you want to see your relationships change which my guess is that everybody in the room could say, 
I want my relationships to change. Nobody in here has relationships completely all figured out and they're all flowing smoothly, right? Anybody here like that, you can come teach if you want. I'm not saying I got mine figured out. I just happen to be the one with the Word of God this morning who's going to teach. So I'm still working. I'm still learning. I'm still growing as well. And what I'm doing in the process is I am attempting to download into my heart. I want to see all the ways that Jesus has related to me. I want to see what he has done for me. And as I take that in and it becomes personal, it's not just Sunday talk. It's not just religious jargon. It becomes truth. It changes me. As I take that in, it will truly change the way I relate to other people. We've been using a passage from Colossians chapter 3, and it says this, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved... In other words, because you have been chosen by God, because he has made you holy, not because you've arrived at some holy place by your own behavior or performance, but because he says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says, because that is what has happened to us. I'm taking that in. God, you've chosen me. You've actually called me holy because of what Jesus has done for me, and because I am now beloved because this is now my new name, because this is now who I am, because these things are true, because I am receiving, believing these things. He says, now, put on tender mercies, kindness, and humility. And we've been using this Colossians 3 passage to give us our relationship apps applications. Because you have been chosen, made holy, and loved, we learned two weeks ago how we are called and have the power to be merciful to others. Download the app of mercy. And we talked about mercy being withholding justice when it is fully in your power to give and instead showing tender mercy. Looked at the story of Mephibosheth in the Old Testament. Last week we talked about the power of kindness, the app of kindness, blessing someone in need with compassionate words and actions. And we saw the story of Jacob and Esau. If you missed those messages, you should go online to our website and listen to those and catch up and download all that is in those two apps. The third thing mentioned in our Colossians passage is our app for today. It's the app of humility. Humility. Those who believe and have received that they've been chosen, made holy, and now beloved, one of the qualities that flows from their life is that they learn to be humble. They have a heart, they have an application in their life of humility. And here's our definition. Intentionally being vulnerable so that the glory of God can be seen. Intentionally being vulnerable. Now, I'm not talking about being humiliated. That's different. You humiliate someone when they are not the ones making themselves vulnerable. It's when you are exposing their vulnerability and embarrassing them. That's humiliating. This is humility. This is me intentionally putting myself in a vulnerable state so that the glory of God can be seen. You know, this is the gateway into all that is ours in Christ. The New Testament says twice 
that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Those who will intentionally make themselves vulnerable before God. Those who will with honesty admit their sin. Those who will with honesty admit their need for Christ. Those who intentionally put themselves in that place as one who is weak and in need they, the Bible says, will find grace. They will receive grace. But to those whose hearts are proud, those who are resistant, those who are refuse to acknowledge their wrong, those who refuse to forgive, those who refuse to accept forgiveness, those who are bent on trying to get revenge, those who are resistant to truth and being loved, they will not experience all that God has for them. And that same plays out in relationships. If you really want to experience healing in your relationships, if you want to experience oneness in your relationships, if you want to take them to a new level that you've never been to before, that it starts with the application of being humble, being willing to intentionally be vulnerable with another person for the glory of God. Now, I realize this is not something that just comes natural with the package of being a person. You don't naturally put yourself in a vulnerable state with someone, right? We naturally protect ourselves. We naturally protect our weaknesses. We naturally protect where someone else could take advantage of us. But as believers in Jesus Christ... We come to a place where we know our standing with God is secure. We come to a place where we know we are loved no matter what. And we come to a place where we know we have been given the gift of righteousness. And when you know those things, it will allow you to intentionally put yourself in a vulnerable spot with others. Because my security is not based on what you think of me. My security is based on what he says about me. Amen. Amen? You see the difference here? This is where humility comes into play. Sadly, a lot of people think of humility as um, of thinking badly about yourself. You know, putting yourself down and I can't do anything right. I'm such a miserable slob. I'm just no good. I can't do anything. And they think this is me being humble. No, that's not you being humble. That's you being filled with self-pity. That's you looking for someone to come pat you on the back. That doesn't allow you to serve anybody. That doesn't give you any strength. The Bible's clear that the humble, they hear God and they are glad for what they hear. They gain a strength because of their humility. When Jesus humbled himself and washed the disciples' feet, it wasn't because he said, oh, wretched me that I am. I'm so sorry a person. I guess I should wash disciples' feet. No. He knew he, who he was before the Father. He knew he had been called. He knew he was loved. He knew he was chosen. He knew God had a purpose for his life. And it didn't matter what the disciples thought in the moment. He knew what his father thought about him. And so he was able to humble himself to the lowest place. Amen? 
This is what we're talking about when we talk about humility. Our story today comes from 2 Kings chapter 5. We've been using some Old Testament stories to kind of give some pictures and illustrations to help us understand this quality or each of the apps. So 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we are today. It's Old Testament, kind of the middle, middle to early part of the Old Testament. If you're turning there in your Bible or if you're in your phone app, whatever you got, uh, use that. Follow along. You can follow along on screen. 2 Kings chapter 5 is where we are. And I'm using the New American Standard Bible today. I normally use a New King James, but I like kind of the wording a little bit better in the New American Standard. Our story today revolves around a man named Naaman. Now, I realize uh, if there are any Hebrew scholars in the room, that's not how you say Naaman. But us English-speaking folks today, we're all going to say Naaman because it's a little bit easier than saying it in a Hebrew way. Okay? So, uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, here's what it says. Now, Naaman, captain of the army of king of Aram, that's what the New American Standard says. If you're reading a New King James or something like that, it probably says Syria right there, which is an accurate interpretation, kind of brings some modern-day insight already. He is the captain of the army of the king of Syria. This is a guy that's powerful. This is a guy that's got some position. This is a guy that has some power behind himself. Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and highly respected. Because of him, the Lord had given victory to Aram or Syria. This man was a valiant warrior. Now hold right there, Dan. You might look at this snapshot of Naaman and think, man, this guy, he had it. He has position. He's got power. He's a man of faith. God has used him to bring great victory to a nation. He's a military advisor, leader, strategist. He's a guy that's got all the respect. He's a guy that's a valiant warrior. He's a guy that's got the entourage with him. He's a guy that's got protection with him. I mean, he's got everything that a president of the United States would have when he rolls up. He's got a group with him. He doesn't travel anywhere by himself. This guy is protected. This guy is watched over. This guy is honored. This guy is respected. Power, position, honor, faith, strength. But what happens in the rest of verse 1 tells us something else about this man. Because you can have all of that. You can have all the cash you want. You can have a house that's the envy of everyone. You can have vehicles that anyone else just wishes they had and still have enough cash left over to do it over two or three more times in your life, you can have all of that. You can have the respect of a nation. You can have the following of many. But when you got this one other thing that Naaman had, it's as though none of that stuff matters. Here's what it says at the end of verse 1. But he was a leper. A leper a man who had leprosy. Now, this is not a condition that we see much of in our nation today. It was a condition, a disease that showed up on the skin that started out as sores that itched and were painful, and they increased in size, and they increased in their depth, and they increased in their pain, and they would develop on different parts 
and all over the body, sometimes the arms, sometimes the hands, sometimes on the face. And the longer you had leprosy, the more disfiguring it was to the point that you ended up losing fingers, that you might lose parts of your face, your nose, an eye, your ear, an entire hand, your foot. It was a disease that there was no known cure for at the time. Disfigurement came with it. These tumor-like growths came with it. And you might think by looking at it, it was a skin disease. But leprosy is not. Leprosy is a disease of the nervous system. It has outward manifestation, but it has an inward root and problem. And what's inside and not seen is where the problem lies. But it causes some very gross outward results. Gross inside caused gross outside. It so affected your nervous system that often as you began to have these sores and loss of fingers, you also lost feeling. You no longer had the ability to sense your own touch. You didn't have the sense in you to feel textures. You didn't have the ability to any longer know heat or cool. And so often those with leprosy would find themselves in even greater harmful situations because they were picking up things that were hot and they did not know it. And so they would burn themselves. They would hurt themselves. They would end up harming themselves more because they had lost the ability to feel in their extremities. Horribly disfiguring and painful disease. Numbness, loss of the ability to sense temperature, weight loss, pain in your joints, hair loss, facial disfigurement. No known cure. Now, if you went into the Old Testament and started looking into the book of Leviticus, chapter 13, you would find this very lengthy, detailed process that God gave the priest for knowing how to relate to someone who had leprosy. And it is long. And a lot of, if this happens, then this needs to happen. And then wait and then see if this happens and see, then here's what you do next. The entire process went along to find out the depth and the pain and the type of leprosy they had. But here was the ultimate result. If it was discovered that you truly did have leprosy and not just some other skin disease, if you truly did have leprosy, you were taken away from your family. You were put outside the city and you were forced to live alone. Because no one, no one wanted to get leprosy. And it was highly contagious. If you were around someone who had leprosy, you had a great chance of getting leprosy yourself. And so out of protection of others, the person with leprosy was removed, put outside. 
And they would often not just live alone, but sometimes in groups with other lepers. A group of people all filled with pain and a future that did not look very bright. And the law separated them. That was in Israel. In Syria, they did not follow the law of God. And so there were many who had leprosy, but were still part of the community without law to restrict them. But everybody in the community said, I'm not going near them. You kind of had to make it your own law, your own rule, to not be around the guy, the gal, the child with leprosy. In fact, once it was confirmed by the high priest, the person was declared unclean, and wherever they went, they had to call out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine going throughout your day? You're going into the market. You're walking through the city. You're traveling from one city to the next, and you're calling out, unclean. In other words, don't come near me. Don't let anyone touch me. Stay away from me. I have a disease. My future is dark, unclean. This is the situation in which we find Naaman. Now, when you look throughout Scripture, there's quite a bit of talk about leprosy. There was another man in the Old Testament by the name of Uzziah. He was a king. He had his role and his place and his job as king. But Uzziah believed he should be able to enter into the temple and be able to offer sacrifices, a place that only the priests were to go, a place, a place where only those prescribed and approved by God could go. And Uzziah just couldn't stand being just king. He had to get in there and do that work too. And the Bible says that when he went in to offer the sacrifices, that the minute he touched them, he developed leprosy. God just put it on him. And so when I look throughout Scripture and I see situations where there was leprosy, it seems to me, it seems clear that leprosy itself was an outward condition that was reflective of an inward problem, and that inward problem was pride. I can do what I want. I've accomplished a lot of things. I have great power. I have great wealth. I don't need God. And we find Naaman in that position. And God is faithful. And he will not allow us to remain in that position. And he works to free us from what binds us. And so God gives to Naaman something that's going to help him see outwardly what he was having a hard time seeing inwardly. Let's go on with the story. We've kind of set enough background here. Let me make one point first. We're gonna, I got four points today. Normally, I put those at the end of the message, but we're going to talk about them as we go throughout the message today. And here's our first big point. If you want to take a snapshot of this on screen or write it down. Pride is a spiritual disease that causes deformity and destroys your ability to relate. If you have pride and arrogance in your life, it's really almost like having leprosy. Because, and you know this to be true. Who likes to be around an arrogant person? You know? 
They might as well just go throughout town saying, unclean, unclean, because we all know they're unclean to begin with. You don't want to be around that guy that's arrogant. You don't want to be around that lady that's just so full of herself and so full of refusal, so full, so full of resentment and bitterness that arrogance just oozes from her or him like sores, and they can't see it. Pride is that same kind of spiritual disease. It ends up cutting you off from others. And the more you refuse, the more you deny, you end up getting shut out just like someone who had leprosy. Put them out. Nobody wants to be around them. It's interesting to me that uh, some of the... um, Some of the symptoms of leprosy are like the symptoms of arrogance and pride. Someone who's prideful, they they have a numbness toward God. They can't sense, feel, or know his presence. They have an inability to be sensitive to others. They can't feel others' pain. They only see themselves. They have pain in their joints. And by joints, I mean relationships. That's really where life connects, you know, in relationships. And when there's a lot of pain in relationships, it's often a reflection of arrogance and pride inside. It's an inability to know when you've even violated your own conscience. There's a a loss of spiritual appetite. You stop having interest in the things of God. You have an inability to see correctly. And there even begins to be a disfigurement to your life. You know, people who are arrogant, even over time, you start to see it, even in their face. You start to see the eyebrows come down and just kind of lock. You start to see their jaw just kind of clench and never open up again. And you can tell who's angry. You can tell who's bitter. You can tell who's got something that's gotten lodged in them. It starts to disfigure it disfigures outwardly because there's been some disfigurement inside for some time. There's been some arrogance that's set in. On with our story. Verse 2. Now, the Arameans had gone out into bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. It didn't say she waited on Naaman. She waited on Naaman's wife. Because she didn't want to get near, and they didn't want her near him. And she said to her mistress, to Naaman's wife, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Oh, this is a little servant girl from Israel, but she is full of spiritual truth. She, she is one who is serving. She's been captured, but she's serving She's been captured, but she has a heart of gratitude. She's caring for her master. She wants the one who captured her to be healed. She's not bitter about her situation. She wants her master not just to be healed, but she even says, I wish he would go see the prophet, and then he would heal him. She knew as a servant girl... She knew his problem wasn't just outward. His problem was inward. And she knew that only by getting to the prophet would he find the relief that he needed. 
Leprosy was just the outward picture of the inward problem. So Naaman finds out, verse 4, it says this, that Naaman went in and told his master, saying, thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. And I've been bothered all week by that verse right there. Why did he just say thus and thus? Did he not even care enough? Could he not just say the whole thing? Is that just the Bible's way of just saying, he said a bunch of stuff, but I'm not going to repeat it here. I don't know. Thus and thus spoke the girl from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram or Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed, took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold and changes of clothes. He gets ready for a big trip. He's going to send him in to see what happens. Now I'm going to skip a couple of the verses that follow because it gets into this situation where the king of Israel is kind of offended and, and thinking they're trying to, this king of Syria is trying to start a fight, but it goes on and the prophet hears about it. We jump down into verse eight and here's what it says. Now let him come to me, the prophet says, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots. I told you he had an entourage. He didn't go anywhere by himself and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. So Naaman finds out, okay, well, it's the prophet. That's what the little servant girl said anyway. I'm going to go to his house. I'm going to Elisha's house and I'm taking everybody that came with me, with me. He didn't go anywhere by himself. The whole, the, you know, the limo, Limo uh, is all driving there, and there's several of them. They're all in a big line. They're all driving up. They're all coming together here in this situation. They're coming to the door of Elisha. Now, if you're the, if you're the military leader of Syria, then you're used to being treated with great respect. You're used to being treated with great honor. You're used to being given gifts. You're used to being put up in a really nice place to stay. You're used to being treated well because you're the military leader of Syria. And this passage says that they arrive at the house of Elisha. And look what happens next. Elisha sent a messenger to him. What? Elisha doesn't even go to the door. Elisha sends a servant to go out and meet the military leader of Syria who's brought his complete entourage with him. And he's like, what in the world? You send a servant. Because you see, God had something that he wanted Naaman to learn. And God will arrange our circumstances because he is faithful and powerful to do so. To help us learn and receive exactly what we need. And so when he steps up to the door of Elisha, he only gets a servant. The humbling process has begun. It's time to download the app of humility, Naaman, and you're going to struggle. You're going to think this app is too expensive. I'm not going to download it. You're going to think I don't have enough room on my phone for this app. You're going to think, why do I need this app? I'm fine without this app. And God is faithful. He continues on. He's going to get Naaman to download this app. Verse 10, it goes on. And the servant comes and says, he brings a message from Elisha. It says, go and wash in the Jordan River 
seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. Now, first read on this, you and I might think, oh, okay, that doesn't seem like such a bad deal. I go down to the river, I wash it seven times, and then I'm clean, I'm healed. Why not? Well, see, that's how you and I think, but none of us are Naaman. None of us are military strategists and leaders for Syria. None of us have lived a lifestyle of prosperity and opulence and more than you could ever imagine and been treated with honor and respect. And none of you and I have been called to go down into the Jordan River. You see, the Jordan River was a dirty river. There were rivers in the area, but you didn't go to the Jordan to do some swimming. The Jordan is where the animals hung out. The animals would let out. It made for a nasty river. You didn't want to go in there and just hang out because the animals had hung out there already. It smelled. It wasn't as popular as other rivers. It was not prominent. It was not clean. And God says to Naaman, I've got a prescription for you. And what's going to happen outwardly is going to be a reflection of what happens to you inwardly first. You know, that's the way it always is. God's not looking just to change our circumstances. He's looking to change our hearts. And when he gets our heart changed, he often will just take that situation that you thought was impossible and just clean it all up and make it right. Point number two today. Healing and restoration for your relationships waits in the river of humility. See, Naaman's greatest problem wasn't that he wasn't smart enough, rich enough, powerful enough. He had all that. His greatest problem was his ability to relate to others. He had a disease that kept him from relating When you have arrogance and pride in your life, it will be a disease upon you that will keep you from relating to others. And there can be healing and there can be restoration. I don't care what your situation is in your marriage today. I don't care what it is. I don't care what the situation is with the parent-to-child relationship. I don't care what the situation is from sibling to sibling I don't care what the situation is. You name the relationship. God can heal and restore any relationship. Amen? Amen. And you're going to have to get to that place personally or you'll never see the potential for that happening in your life. If you keep walking around with a false perspective about what God can do, you'll never see the power come about in your life. Healing and restoration can come, even in the most difficult of relationships. Naaman had a disease with no known cure. It was, as far as he knew, going to be this way the rest of his life. And there are relationship settings where you think, there is no way this could ever be healed. It's going to be like this for the rest of my life. Wrong. you got to leave some room for God to get in there and work. And when you believe he can do that, 
And when you are willing to do what God told Naaman to do, when you're willing to step down into the river of humility, then and only then will you start to see change happen. The passage continues, verse 11. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, look, I thought he would surely come out and say to me, or come out to me and stand and call on the name of his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Naaman said, I was expecting something different. I was expecting him to come out and say, Oh God, here is the great Naaman. He has come. Surely you will bless him. Heal him, oh God, for he is the greatest in our land. See, that's what pride does. Pride wants to go a little ways, but pride doesn't want to go all the way. Pride will take you a little ways with God, but it won't take you all the way with God. Pride will take you a little way in your relationship. You're willing to give a little, sacrifice a little, hurt a little, but pride won't take you all the way in the relationship. Only humility will do that. And Naaman is going to have to get down into the dirty Jordan River and dip seven times if he wanted to see himself healed. And if you want to see some healing happen in your relationships, you're going to have to give up that stubborn pride that says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. This isn't right. This isn't fair. Until that goes away and you're willing to get down into the river, there will not be any healing for your relationships. Point three, humility willingly does whatever God says. Forgive, serve, sacrifice. Naaman wanted to be recognized. Naaman wanted to be popular. Naaman didn't want to have to do the hard work of being humble. Naaman didn't want to have to go all the way down into that river, into the Jordan River. Naaman said, I'll go so far, but I'm not going that far. And that's exactly what pride does. But humility when you download that app into your life, it'll bring you to a place where you'll say, you know what, God? I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to forgive. I'm willing to understand. I'm willing to accept. I'm willing to love and serve and sacrifice. I'm willing to lay down my rights for someone else. I'm willing to lay aside my interest for someone else. I'm going to tell you, when that kind of app takes over in a marriage, it's a beautiful thing. When that kind of app takes over in your own life, it's a beautiful thing. Whether the other person responds or not, Jesus lived in humility and joy even when every disciple walked away. And he was loving us when we were still stubborn. Amen? Amen? And he didn't stay grumpy until then. He was filled with love and peace already. Humility says, I'll do whatever it takes. 
I'll serve, forgive, love. The passage goes on in verse 12, and it says that Naaman answered this. Are not Abinah and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Naaman said, I know of some better rivers. I know of some that are more majestic. They run right through the town. In fact, this Abanah River flowed right through the city of Damascus. Can I go there? I mean, I'd, I would love the opportunity to go there and step down in the middle of that river. Everyone's around watching, and they're seeing me, and they're seeing me disease, and they're seeing what God's going to do for me. Yeah, he wanted to go down into the Me River is what he wanted. Can I go there? Can I go to the Farpar River? The Greeks and Romans called it the River of Gold. It was beautiful. It was majestic. It was a place to be. Can't I go there? I deserve better. I shouldn't have to go to the Jordan. I shouldn't have to go to all that. I shouldn't have to humble myself to that degree. I should get something better out of this deal. It's interesting how this verse ends. It says, he turned and went away in a rage. It really, it didn't just, he didn't just say, oh man, the Jordan River. No, it it did something to him. It lit him up inside. He got angry, not just angry, but he went into a rage in that moment. He's probably walking around, you know, throwing stuff and yelling at people, get out of my way. And he's just, he just wrecked because of what God's asked him to do. And I'm going to tell you what, when God asks you to do something and your response is anger and rage, It shows you haven't downloaded the app of humility. And I'm speaking from one who knows. And there's still times in my life when I have to download the update to humility. I'm still working off of an old, you know, 1.0 version of humility. And God's trying to get me up to the 7.0 version. And I've still got that one. And he's brought a new situation in my life. He'll bring a new person. He'll bring a new people group. He'll bring a new setting. He'll bring a new problem into your life. And he said, okay, it's time for the update. You ready? I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm mad about this whole thing. I'm mad about having to humble myself. I'm mad about having to serve this person. I'm mad about having to do this. This isn't right. I'm just not going to do that. And that's what Naaman was doing. And that's what happens for you and I sometimes. You might have had some experience at some point. Praise God for that. You might have gone through a humbling. You might have humbled yourself in a certain situation, but you're in a different situation now. And God's calling you to a new place of humility. He's calling you to an update, a new, a new step. And humility is willing to go there. Verse 13 says, then his servants came near and spoke to him. They got a little bit more sense right now than he does. And they said, my father, 
being very respectful. They weren't really, he wasn't really their dad, but he's just, they're speaking respectfully to him. Had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? If he had told you, Naaman, you're going to have to go climb this great mountain. Naaman, you're going to have to defeat this army. Naaman, you're going to have to conquer this king. Naaman, you're going to have to cross this desert carrying the weight of two men on your back. If he had told you those things, Naaman, would you not have done it? Because that kind of that kind of challenges you, right? Naaman, you like that kind of stuff. I can do big things. I want to do something. I want to accomplish something. Yeah, Naaman's like, well, yeah, I would have. And they say to him, how much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? Naaman, if you're willing to do all that stuff, surely, surely you can just walk down in that river dip seven times and be clean. The passage says, verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. It finally clicked for him. It's a process. Humility is that way. We resist it, we push away from it, we, we buck against it, and God just keeps on talking, just keeps on calling. And hopefully we get to that place like Naaman did. He says, okay, God, it's what you said to do. It's awkward. It feels a little embarrassing. It's not what I normally do. It's uncomfortable I've never done this before. I don't understand how this is supposed to even work. Dipping seven times in a nasty river is so, supposed to somehow cleanse me. I don't understand all that, God. But because it's what you said, I'm going to do it. Seven times, I don't understand that even, God. Why couldn't it just be one time? Why can't I just even go and dip my foot in there and that be enough? Why do I got to get on down in there in the nasty? Why do I got to feel all that muck between my toes down there? Why do I got to have all that stuff that's floating in the river bump up against me and touch me that's nasty and defiles? Why is, why is all that? Why do I got to get down in there before I can experience the healing? And then not just get in it, but I got to dip down in it and cover up in it. Why do I got to let all that stuff get in my hair? Why has it got to float all up in my ears and my eyes and my nose? Why? And then not just one time, but two times, three times, seven times, really? Why, God? The passage never tells us why. But I have an idea. It has to do with this whole process of being humbled, of getting to the place where we completely trust God for what he says, even when it seems a little ridiculous to us. Amen? Amen? So the Bible says that he did it. Verse 14 says, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now, I have an idea that as he was there in the river, 
he probably worked up all the courage and got down in there, and he dipped down the first time and came back up and looked. Nothing. And he dipped again and got it all over me. Nothing. He did it again, came back up. Still nothing. Three times it all still looks the same. Four times it goes down and comes up. Stuff's hanging off his hair and his eyes, all, you know, moss and junk and stink all covering him. Four times of nothing. Five times it goes down. Still nothing. It's all the same. Six times. This isn't even going to work. This is ridiculous jumping in this river. How in the world is that going to make a difference? And they're probably saying, you got one more time. That's only been six. I'm adding all that in the story there. I don't know if that happened, but I just imagine if I was there, that's what I'd be saying. You're not finished yet. You come this far. Go again. And on the seventh time, when he goes down and comes back up, boom. It's not even like it was before he had leprosy. It's restored to like he was when he was a child. His skin is clean. He's healed. You know what Naaman can do now that he couldn't do before? He can hug his wife. He can love his children. He can go and hug his neighbor. He can touch his grandchildren if he's got some. He can touch anybody in the, in the neighborhood. He's, he can relate again because he couldn't relate to anyone when he had leprosy. But now he's been restored and he can love because he's been healed by God. The heart that is proud is kept away. It stays off at a distance. It refuses to get near. No one wants to get near because it is consumed with itself. No one wants to be around to touch or hug the arrogant. But when the heart finally surrenders and says, God, I'll do whatever you ask. And it is humbled. Then that heart is made new again. And it can do what it couldn't do before. Relate. And love. He just downloaded and updated the app of mercy. Our last point this morning is this. Humility obeys God completely, even when it doesn't make sense. I know that God is here, and I know that God is speaking this morning. He's speaking to me while I'm speaking to you. And he is speaking specifically, because that's what he does, he's speaking specifically to you about relationships in your life. And when I talked about the seven times dipping into the river, you know exactly what God's calling you to do. I don't have to spell out examples for you. Because the Spirit of God does that when His Word is being proclaimed. Amen. And the humble will hear, and they'll be glad. And the heart that's humble says, okay, God, I don't understand how me forgiving this person is going to do anything. It feels like someone with leprosy dipping in a dirty river seven times. But God, it's what you're asking me to do, so I'll do it. 
I don't understand how me accepting this person, how me showing kindness to this person, how me understanding this person, how me reaching out to this person, I don't understand, God, how that's going to do anything. I don't understand how me humbling myself, making myself vulnerable, I don't understand how that's going to change anything. It's not up to you to understand. It's up to you to obey. Naaman, don't ask for a science class about how a dirty river is going to cure your leprosy. (laughs) It's not about that. It's about your willingness to do what I've asked. And if you're still trying to logically figure out how what God has asked you to do is going to solve the situation, you're going to keep wondering for years to come until you finally say, God, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. I've tried it a little. I've tried it a little. I've dipped two or three times. But you won't get there until you dip all seven times. If God's called you to do something, don't go halfway. Don't wait and say, well, I'll say something and see what happens. Mm -mm. That's going into the river, dipping one time and seeing what happens. Nothing. Go to the extent that God's called you. Do what he's asked you to do. Do it all the way to the fullest of what he's asked you to do. Nothing held back. Nothing reserved. All the way. That's what humility does. God, I don't understand. I don't know why, but I'm listening to you, and I'm going to do what you said to do. That is when healing occurs. That is when Naaman was made new. And that's where the Spirit of God brings us today. He's speaking today. For some of you, it's about not a relationship horizontally. It's about this relationship first. You've been holding back. You've gone one dip, two dip, and God is saying, I'm calling you all the way to me, every part of you. And you've been resisting it. You've put off taking in the fullness of Jesus Christ into your life. You've been trying to play a little church game on the side, hoping that'll be enough dips to maybe make some change. And he's saying, I'm calling for you to surrender to me completely. Won't you come to me? Won't you bring everything you got and I've got the healing for you? You have to come all of yourself, though, not part, all of you. But for others in the room, you've dealt with this. And now it's time to deal with this. There's some people in your life God's calling you to humble yourself to, be vulnerable to, reach out to, and have some humility. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to pray, but I'd like to ask you to bow your heads, and I just would like to see this morning, are you here today, and God is speaking to you about your relationship to Him? He's He's calling you to himself completely and fully. And you've, you've waited, you've put off, you've, you've tried to do a little to see what would happen. And he's saying, no, I'm calling all of you. I want all of your heart. I want you to all, every bit of you come to me and surrender your life to me. Yeah. And you're hearing that today and God's speaking to you. And you want to just receive the fullness of who Jesus is. You want to have your sins removed, cleared, and you want to have your soul restored to like a newborn child inside, to be born again. It comes by humbly receiving all that he has for you. 
Is there anybody here today? Let it be known by raising your hand. Just say, that's me today. I want to receive all that God has for me in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? I'm receiving all that God has for me today in Jesus Christ. I've been toying around with it. I've been doing a little, but today I'm coming to receive all that he's got for me. Amen. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to sing. We'll have counselors waiting at the back of the room. If you need to speak to someone today because you're putting your faith in Jesus Christ fully for the first time, come let us know. We want to celebrate with you, pray with you. If you need someone to pray with you about an area in your life where you're trying to download this app of humility and you need someone to pray with you, come see our counselors. We'd love to pray with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you that while we were in sin, while we were going our own way, you sent your Son who humbled himself completely, who became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, so that whosoever should call upon his name could be saved. And that there's coming a day that because he humbled himself so greatly, he'll be exalted more highly. And we look forward to that day. But until then, God help us to live out this humility with one another. May we in our marriages, our families, our community, our church, may we have the fresh update of humility in our life so we put others' needs above our own so that we're willing to serve and sacrifice even the most undeserving. So if there's no task that we think we're above, so if there's nothing too low that we're not willing to do, and to do it not just once, but for every time you call us to do it. Heal this morning, Father. You have the power to redeem and restore and heal relationships. You have the power to heal, redeem, and restore souls this morning, Father. We're trusting you to be the one to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning and want to speak with one of our counselors, come see us at the back.